Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Suzanne Blimson. More than a decade after Barclays turned to Middle Eastern investors for rescue funds during the financial crisis, a jury in London has begun hearing the case against the bank's former chief executive and three senior colleagues, who stand accused of defrauding the market. Patrick Jenkins discusses what has emerged from the case so far with Caroline Binham and Jane Croft, who have been covering the trial. Caroline and Jane, you're tag-teaming in the legal case that has been brought by the Serious Fraud Office against four former directors of the bank. And this is, of course, over the 2008 capital raising when there were alleged inducements paid to the Qatari investors who pumped billions of pounds into the bank and helped save it and see off the threat of UK government capital injections slash nationalisation. Caroline... Tell us about the background to this in a bit more detail. What exactly are the allegations against these four people? What did they do and how did it all come about? So this is the Serious Fraud Officer's case against John Varley, who was the chief executive of Barclays at the time in 2008, and then three of his top lieutenants, Roger Jenkins, who was the swashbuckling dealmaker for the Middle East at the time, Tom Kolaris, who headed up wealth management, and then Richard Both, who worked in the investment bank's financial institutions group. So the SFO alleged that the four conspired to pay the Qataris secret fees that weren't disclosed to the market or to other investors through what are known as advisory services agreements. And the SFO say that these deals were essentially just a smokescreen to pay the Qataris the extra fees they were demanding to invest. Now, this is the first case that we've seen against a major bank CEO for actions taken during the financial crisis. You'll remember that Fred Goodwin... All the other chief executives of banks during the financial crisis, very little really has ever happened. So this is the one case that we've seen get to a jury trial that emanates from the financial crisis. Jane, tell us what the latest is. They've been in court now for a few days. We've heard a few days of evidence. It was quite some time before the jury was able to be selected, given that this is supposedly going to be a six-month commitment. What's been the juiciest evidence so far? Yeah, I mean, what we've heard so far is the prosecution opening, which has taken about sort of five days where the SFO has opened their case. So we haven't yet heard sort of live witnesses, but we've been given an overview of the case of the jury have. So some interesting things have come out. There's been emails and details of telephone conversations between the executives, one in which John Varley, the former chief executive of Barclays, was described as being scared to death about the UK government stepping in to nationalise Barclays at the height of the 2008 financial crisis. Bob Diamond, who is not on trial, was described as being paranoid about the UK government stepping in to do this. And Roger Jenkins expressed concern in a conversation he had with Richard Both, panicking Barclays was about to be nationalised in October 2008. And panicking because, as he put it, the UK government wouldn't look kindly on compensation over a million dollars. Obviously, sort of if Barclays had gone into public ownership, the UK government would have looked at bonus and compensation structure and dividend policies as well. Yeah, just to be clear to listeners, when we're talking about compensation here, this is the rather unpleasant terminology that bankers use to talk about pay. Not that they've really been compensated for anything, but this is rather depressing, isn't it, Caroline? That, you know, I remember talking to John Varley at the time and others within the bank about their concerns about UK government bailout. And it was all about the damage to shareholders, damage to Britain, the damage to the kind of European banking setup. 
but at least some people seem to have been far more concerned about their own pay levels than anything else. Well, that's certainly true. I mean, I think some of the transcripts that we've read in court and we've heard in phone calls highlight that Mr. Varley was indeed worried about the strategic direction of the bank had it been nationalised. But also it's pretty clear that certainly front of mind for many of those involved was the fact that they probably wouldn't be able to get their multi-million pound bonuses. I mean, for this fundraising alone, Roger Jenkins was paid a £25 million bonus. And indeed, the jury's heard a memo demanding payment to that effect. I mean, I think one of the things that this case has done is really lift the lid on the frenetic deal making that happened and just the down to the minute negotiations that had to happen in order for Barclays to get this away and stay out of the hands of UK government control. And of course at the time it was hailed as a great success when Royal Bank of Scotland was being bailed out in an emergency rescue by the British government. HBOS was falling over Lloyds very soon after, as Jane, you covered at the time as banking correspondent, was bailed out as well. And of course, Barclays looked like it had got the capital that it needed without any downside, albeit a rather expensive bit of capital. But it's all rather coming home to roost now. Absolutely. And I mean, today we heard the prosecution allege that, you know, the prospect of a UK government bailout was very unattractive to Barclays because it would mean it limited the flexibility of the bank. But it also meant that some of the people at the top of Barclays would have to leave. You know, some of the top executives would have to leave as a result of taking taxpayer money. And also levels of remuneration would be attacked at Barclays. And, you know, as I say, we've heard this kind of memo today from Roger Jenkins, who is basically sort of saying that he ought to be paid a bonus as a result of his attracting Qatari capital and ensuring that Barclays didn't have to take taxpayer money. I mean, he sort of said, you know, he basically saved the bank and he deserved the money to save our asses and jobs. Eloquent. Caroline, explain one thing. Why is it these four individuals and not any others and indeed not the bank itself that is on trial here? Yes, so we obviously have to be a little bit careful in what we say while there are live proceedings. But one thing we are positively allowed to report is that previous SFO charges against Barclays, the corporate, were scrubbed late last year in quite a blow to the SFO's case. And particularly the bank had been charged with, as well as fraud, the same as the human defendants, as we call them, also in relation to a $3 billion loan that it gave to Qatar just as the second fundraising was closing. So those parts of the SFO's case are no longer part of the trial. So Jane, where does it go from here? As I said, I think the jury's been told to expect this to run to six months. We're clearly only in the first few days. What are we going to hear next and what are you braced for? Yeah, well, basically the opening is likely to finish this week sometime. And then I think we're getting into witnesses. So we haven't got a witness list yet or an order of witnesses, but we know certain individuals are going to give evidence, including Marcus Aegis, who was chairman of Barclays at the time. So what he says will obviously be very interesting. And then after that, obviously, once the prosecution case is finished, the defence case will begin. And again, that could last some time. So it could be six months for this trial. Just one final thing then, Jane. Remind us, as I said, you were covering the banks at the time. The Qatari investors that came in with their multi-billion bailout for Barclays, what was in it for them, really, setting aside the alleged payments of inducements? Why did they invest in Barclays? And of course, they invested in quite a few banks right across Europe at the time. Yeah, I mean, I think the trials heard some evidence that Barclays was an attractive proposition for the Qataris. 
But obviously the Qataris are not part of the case. Nobody from the Qatar Investment Authority is giving evidence in the trial. And you've got to basically remember that the Qataris were the purchasers here. They didn't have the disclosure obligations that Barclays had. You know, they're not on trial here. But obviously they saw the bank as an attractive proposition in the sort of 2008 banking crisis. And I think it is to be remembered that actually, certainly this was true just before the trial started when I checked, that Qatar remain Barclays' largest shareholder. Yeah, and they've been through quite a lot of ups and downs ever since, haven't they? Just like their positions in other banks in Europe, not least Deutsche Bank. But um, that is another story, (laughs) as we have reported many times before. On that note, thank you both very much. That was Patrick Jenkins, our financial editor, talking to Caroline Binham, our financial regulation correspondent, and Jane Croft, our law courts correspondent. We'll be back with another news feature tomorrow. In the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, do take a look at our latest subscription offer at ft.com slash offer. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.